be attentive. Brethren, when the time had fully come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his Son into our hearts, saying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son then also an heir of God through Christ. Peace be to you, the reader. Peace be to all. The reading is from the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew. Let us be attentive. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it was written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will govern my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and ascertained from them what time the star appeared. And he said to them in Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. When they had heard the king, they went their way, and lo, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasure, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Christ is born. Amen. 
I was in Pasco, Washington yesterday at the mission of St. Nectarios, and I said to them, Christ is born, and they said, truly he is born. <laughs> Don't let me plant that in your heads, because uh, that's what will come out when we greet each other at the end of liturgy. But I guess that's, that's true as well, isn't it? Truly he is born. St. <clears throat> John Chrysostom calls this Feast of the Nativity the capital of all feasts of the Lord. And he says this, not because it's the Feast of Feasts, this is Pascha, but because all the other feasts of the Lord, his circumcision, his theophany, baptism in the Jordan, his transfiguration, his passion, his cross, his resurrection, his ascension, his enthronement, all of these other feasts come from the fact that God became a man that we might become gods by grace. And so this nativity, this feast of his incarnation is extremely important. And in this feast, we clearly see the love of God. And every aspect of the feast of the nativity is extremely important and instructive for us. I love the shepherds, and we commemorate them on this day. We commemorate their simplicity, their humility, their purity of heart. And we know that this humility and this purity and this simplicity comes from the solitude and the stillness of their life as shepherds. They did not have to worry about the marketplaces or the hustle and bustle of the city. They were out there alone with quiet, in prayer, watching over their sheep. We see them as imitators and followers of the way of the life of the patriarchs and the prophets of the Old Testament. We also see them as foreshadowers of the fact that this babe born in Bethlehem will be the good shepherd of all. And finally, we see that God illuminates and rewards those who have humility and simplicity. And he contrasts them with the ambition and the pride and the craftiness of the scribes and the Pharisees and the high priests of Judaism at that time. We also look at the Magi. These mysterious wise men from the East. And we know that they were astronomers. They were scientists. We also know that they were pagan, but they were seekers of truth. It's interesting that God meets them where they're at. And He uses the things that are so familiar to them to bring them to the knowledge of the truth. I love the hymn, the Tropadion of the Feast. It says, They who worshipped... The stars were instructed by a star to worship you, the Son of Righteousness, and to know you, the day spring from on high. They may have begun worshiping stars, but it translated into worshiping the one true God, abandoning that which was only in part for that which was the fullness. And even though they come from very far away, they bow down and worship this babe because their hearts are illumined. This isn't something that the mind can comprehend. It takes an illumination of the soul. 
And even though all of the highly educated and those who knew the Old Testament scriptures right there next to Christ failed to recognize him, these magi from the east following the star come to that high degree of illumination so that they bring gold and frankincense and myrrh and literally as important and educated and powerful and rich men in their own countries bow down and worship this babe showing the universality of what God is bringing to the world. I don't want to forget the star. The star is not a star. It doesn't act like stars. It's lower than all the other stars. It moves from the east to the west. It stops and starts leading the Magi. All of the fathers call the star an angel of the Lord. But acting like one of those heavenly bodies. In fact, they can see it during the day when all the other stars are not visible. And when the star leads them finally to Bethlehem, it stops and it lowers down right over the abode of the Virgin Mary, Joseph, and the newborn babe, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God and the eternal Logos, now born as Christ, soon to be named Jesus. And what about the angels? The angels sing a hymn. And they're amazed. Don't think that the angels knew that the Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator and sustainer of the universe, their creator, would lower himself and become a human being and a baby. And they sing this hymn to the shepherds. Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth and goodwill towards men. Peace on earth. Not the end of wars. Not harmony and unity in every single relationship. Not a state of calm on the outside. This is not what the angels are heralding. They are saying that there will still be wars. There will still be conflicts. There will still be arguments. Things will not be peaceful on the outside. But God is coming to unite Himself to our humanity, the Creator to the creation, to reconcile us to Him, to end the estrangement, to end the consequences of the fall, to bring peace inside of each human being that makes peace on the outside, therefore, possible. And the fathers of the church look at goodwill toward men in a very beautiful way. They say that the love of God is so clearly manifest in this feast in goodwill toward men in saying that the incarnation would have happened even if there had been no fall. That it was part of the pre-will of God. That the intimacy achieved by God becoming a human being is greater than Adam and Eve could have ever experienced even had they not sinned. It's true that the passion and the cross are a result of the fall. 
But the incarnation is a result of the eternal love of God for man and wanting man to share in such a close intimacy without confusion, without division, in a complete union with God forever and ever and ever. This is how much God loves us. Do not let the devil lie to you. You are created for an intimate relationship with God of ever-increasing perfect communion, of complete union while still remaining a human being. That this is the kind of love and intimacy and communion that God wants with us. God's creation also participates in the mystery of sanctifying grace. We participate in the mystery of deifying grace from image to God-likeness. But creation participates. It extols God. It praises God. It bears witness to the fact that this is their creator. When we see the stars, when we see the mountains, when we see the cave, when we see the animals, when we see the trees and all the other aspects of God creation present in this feast and present in the icon of this feast, bearing witness to the fact that even if human beings even if his own reject him and do not recognize him, that they cry out and bear witness. This is their king. This is their creator. This is their God. It's a beautiful thing. This feast of the nativity also shows us four other things. The goodness of God, the wisdom of God, the justice of God, and the power of God. God is good, and He shows it in this feast because He does not overlook the weakness of mankind. He does not abandon him in his weakness, in his sinfulness, in his corruption or his death. But He gives him a helping hand that he could not accomplish on his own. It also shows and proves that God is all-wise. He found the most fitting solution to a problem and a dilemma that seems impossible. And he shows that he is just. He does not make another Adam. The first Adam showed that in his weakness he could not struggle against the devil and be victorious on his own. And so he doesn't just replace Adam with another human being to struggle again and fail again. Nor does he forcibly remove death from our existence. But instead, he comes himself. He's willing to suffer. He's willing to endure the passion. The rejection of those he created to be intimately in communion with him. To die on the cross. The most horrible capital punishment that the world could offer at that time in order to bring us into union with Him. This is divine justice. This blows away human justice and defies all that we understand about fairness. And yet, this is our God. And finally, He shows Himself to be all-powerful because He proves that He is able to save the world by becoming a man while at the same time remaining fully God and in communion forever and ever with the Father and the Holy Spirit. 
St. Paul calls this feast a self-emptying. That it is natural for the Son of God to be equal and of the same exact essence of the Father, and yet He empties Himself, becoming a human being. St. John of Damascus calls this self-emptying ineffable and unfathomable and incomprehensible. There is nothing that we can compare it to. We who are at the top of the created world could empty ourselves and become the lowest of creation, and it wouldn't come close to comparing being creator and becoming a part of your creation. This is how much God loves us, that He is willing to empty Himself and become so weak and vulnerable that He might sanctify our human nature and reconcile it to Him forever. Know that when He ascended into heaven and was enthroned at the right hand of the Father, He ascends and is throned and is today the God-man, never ever to abandon our human nature. Today still the angels look at that God-man and they see the wounds of His crucifixion and they're still amazed. How could God become a man, raising man even above us? What a beautiful notion that you are called to be higher in honor than the cherubim and more glorious beyond compare than the seraphim. That your rightful place is not flying around the throne but next to Christ on His right and on His left, who sits upon the throne. Every divine liturgy, every divine liturgy, is a remembrance of God's incarnation. It is a perpetual Christmas. We celebrate and make real His incarnation. We, the faithful, literally offer ourselves every divine liturgy like the cave offered itself to Christ, like the manger offered itself to Christ. Come and dwell in me. Come and dwell in us. Sanctify us by your presence, just as that cave and that manger on that day opened their hearts to the Lord and invited Him in. My dear brothers and sisters, One of the names that we have for Jesus Christ is Emmanuel, God with us. And in every generation we can look at the world around us and we can see conflict and war and anxiety and suffering and fear and terror. We can see the results of people who are far away from God, who have forgotten Him and what the fruit of that forgetfulness is. It is not peace on earth, and it is not goodwill towards men. In every generation, this Feast of the Nativity has reminded us that we are not alone, that God is with us, that we can still have joy and peace in us no matter what is going on. And when we open our hearts up to Christ and we invite Him in through His holy body and His precious blood, that He is sanctifying us, that He is making us lights in the midst of the darkness all around us. As important as it is to remember the gifts of the Magi and offer one another gifts in our love for each other, to remember the ultimate gift, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, as important as it is to gather around a table and sacramentally break bread 
and eat meat and celebrate with our loved ones, our family and our friends. These are important and they're extremely central to this feast. But more important is that God wants to deify us. He wants to give us His grace. He wants to make us bearers of peace and light and truth and love and justice and power just as He is. And He sends us out into this world of darkness and conflict and fear and anxiety and struggle to be instruments of His peace and His love to remind people that we are truly not citizens of this world, but we are citizens of His kingdom. I want to close with a beautiful image. One of the Kandakya, or I think it's the Ikos, says of this feast, that today Bethlehem has opened up Eden. Paradise is once again opened up because God has come to Bethlehem. And He has united Himself to His world. May we, united with Christ, go out back into that world and remind people that Bethlehem has indeed opened up Eden. Christ is born. Amen.